might mention also that um, um, JC mentioned that I think Glenda had mentioned that she had seen on Facebook that Leroy Deadman is uh, in the hospital. That's all we know. We don't know any details, but of course Leroy, that is part of our Good News Today program, and um, certainly we uh, want to uh, remember Leroy and Jane, his wife, and their family in our in our prayers. Uh, also, uh, some are aware that Johnny Rogers is not doing well now, and uh, we need to remember uh, Johnny uh, in our prayers. Uh, Barbara Northcutt's Northcutt's not able to be with us tonight. She became ill after lunch today, but we hope she'll feel better soon. We need to remember her uh, in our prayers uh, as well. Tonight we continue our study of the Philippian letter. We are uh, concluding uh, chapter 1 of uh, Philippians, uh, looking at the last uh, verses from 27 through 30 of Philippians uh, chapter 1. The love letter of Paul, as it is often called, to the church at Philippi because he did have deep love and affection for this church which had had fellowship with him in the gospel from the first day until now, as he said back in chapter 1 and uh, verse And they sent to uh, alleviate his uh, physical needs uh, time and uh, again. And obviously, he was in their fervent prayers regularly as they were in his uh, prayers. What a beautiful, wonderful relationship we see here in the demonstration of Paul's love for these brethren at Philippi and their love uh, for uh, him. And of course, he has reminded them Uh, in the verses that we've studied earlier in this chapter, that uh, they are not to be overly concerned about him, not to be distressed. He was more concerned about them than for himself, though he was the one in prison, though he was the one that was uh, a prisoner. And yet he wanted them to understand and to appreciate that uh, the things that had happened to him had actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That's back at verse, uh, verse 12. And he elaborated upon that and then... Uh, made the clear affirmation that for him to live would be Christ. In other words, if he was allowed to live, it would be Christ living in him and to die, as he said in verse 21, uh, is gain. Uh, A sentiment that is worthy of our emulation and our determination, as was his, to uh, live for Christ. Now he writes to them, beginning in verse 27, and uh, and encourages them to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is a great, uh, a great passage here, a great statement here in, uh, in verse 27. And uh, really, in these verses that we are uh, looking at uh, uh, tonight, we see here a, a very good outline in, uh, in these uh, uh, verses. Uh, for example, here in verse 27, we can see that he admonishes them to stand together. Notice the word together in the verse 27 after striving. Stand together, strive together. And then down at verse 29, when we get there, we'll see that they are to suffer together. 
So there's an outline uh, in itself here in Paul's inspired words that is worthy of our study and of our uh, imitation that we should also stand together, strive together, and suffer together. And we'll elaborate upon that uh, as we look at these uh, verses. But the first admonition here is that you would let your conduct, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that reminds us of, of how important it is to live uh, in as close uh, imitation as we possibly can of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been once for all delivered to the saints. And that we strive every day in every aspect of our, our lives, in our thoughts, as well as our actions, to be counted worthy of being sons and daughters of God, as it were, followers of Jesus Christ, worthy of the gospel that we've been blessed and privileged to obey. And that we do it, as Paul says here, regardless of who's watching, or regardless of who's with us or who is not with us, because God is always watching. There is no place that we can go uh, to escape the presence of God. If you saw the, uh, the Good News Today program this morning, uh, Kyle Butts' segment reminded us as he asked the question, where is God? God is everywhere in one sense, and that he's in heaven in another sense. That's the heavenly home of God, but he's omnipresent. Where can I flee from his spirit? Where can I go and hide from God? Nowhere. So it doesn't matter whether or not, uh, in this case, the Apostle Paul was with the Philippian brethren or whether he was absent from them. Their conduct was not uh, a conduct that was based upon uh, their allegiance to him, though they certainly had a strong love for him and a strong allegiance to him, their conduct was based upon their allegiance to God and to Christ, as ours must be. And so it's not a question of who's watching or who is aware. God is always aware. And Paul reminds us of that as he reminds these uh, Christians at Philippi, make sure that you conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether I am there, whether I am uh, absent, I want to hear of your affairs. And you know, that's something else that, that reminds us that we need to be concerned not just about the congregation here at White Oak, though certainly this is our home congregation and we have a deep love and affection uh, for this congregation, but this is a congregation among many congregations worldwide that constitute the universal church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And without being a busybody in other men's matters and other congregations' matters, we should always manifest a deep concern for our brothers and sisters in, in places across the globe and never to lose sight of, uh, of the fact that we are a part of a, a great brotherhood of believers and that we are in fellowship with those uh, across the seas, whether we are with them on a weekly basis or not, we are still in fellowship with those brothers and sisters. We need to remember them uh, in our prayers. We need to keep them in our thoughts. We need to express our concerns for them to the throne of heaven and take our petitions to the throne of heaven on behalf of the church uh, everywhere, as I'm sure I'm sure you do in your prayers to God. But here is a simple reminder from the Apostle Paul that he was concerned about them, whether he was with them or not. And we need to be concerned about all of our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. But notice this. 
The admonition here, stand fast. That's the first of our three admonitions we're using basically as an outline as we're letting Paul outline the lesson for us, really. Stand together, because in just a moment we'll look at striving together. But when we stand fast in one spirit, we are standing together. And don't you think we live in a time where an admonition to stand fast is certainly, certainly timely. Stand fast. Now I know that Paul wrote to the Philippians at a time when he was being persecuted. He was a prisoner in Rome. I also know that the Philippian brethren were going to be persecuted if they were not already being persecuted. I know that the Apostle Paul was persecuted himself, he and Silas, when they were in Philippi, when they began the church, and he'll, uh, he'll allude to that persecution in the very text that we're looking at in just a few moments. We'll see that. I can remember on a visit to Philippi in 1978, many years ago, being shown the ruins of the amphitheater at Philippi and being told this is where Christians in the first century went to their deaths, many of them, being fed to the lions in a place, this very place, as in the Colosseum at Rome and as in so many other places where Christians were persecuted even unto death. And he'll talk more or write more about that suffering uh, in just a few moments. But stand fast regardless is the point here. Stand fast in one spirit. Do not let your detractors, do not let your persecutors cause you to waver. And they were facing persecution and did face persecution. And he'll talk more about that suffering. He'll write more about it in verse uh, 29. But stand fast in one spirit. Admonition after admonition can be found in Scripture in various places along these same lines. A little bit later on in the same Philippian epistle, at chapter 4 and verse 1, he will write these words, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the same writer wrote to uh, the uh, church at uh, Corinth, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, stand fast in the faith. Galatians 5 and verse 1, stand fast, uh, therefore, in the liberty to which you've been called. Uh, time and time again, the admonition is given to Christians uh, by inspired writers to stand fast. And it was certainly an appropriate admonition because at many times uh, in their lives, they faced severe persecution, even uh, death. It was a difficult difficult thing to live as a Christian in first century times uh, to a great extent. And they faced severe persecution. How were they to deal with it? They were to stand fast. But look, in one, in one spirit, in one spirit, that is with one attitude, with one attitude of heart and with one mind. So in mind and spirit, that is, in every aspect of your devotion, be together. Stand fast in one spirit with one mind. This is a similar admonition that we find in the very familiar uh, text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You remember at the church, in, in the church at Corinth, there was tragically some division that had arisen 
there. And Paul pleaded with those brethren in chapter 1 at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Very similar admonition given to the church at Corinth as the one given here. The big contrast between the two is that at Corinth, at the time he issued that admonition, they were already having problems because some were following various preachers, some Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas, some Christ. And uh, Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Uh, rhetorical questions as if to say, no, we're all Christians. You were baptized into Christ, therefore be of one mind, be of one Spirit, stand fast in that one spirit with that one mind. But the contrast, as we said, was there were problems there as he issued that admonition. Here he is basically saying, keep up the good work. He's not addressing the Philippians and saying, you've got problems because you've got division, therefore get it worked out. That was the Corinthian church at that time. To the Philippians, he's saying basically keep up the good work. In other words, continue to stand fast as you are with one mind, with one mind and in one spirit. So stand together. And together is a key word here in verse 27. Notice his next admonition. Striving together. Striving together. That's not strife. That's not strife and division. That's striving together for what? For the faith of the gospel. What is the faith of the gospel? The system of faith that is brought through the gospel. He's talking about striving together for Christianity. That word striving together, the phrase striving together comes from one word in the original. And the word is a combination of soon, S-U-N, which is together, the idea of together, and ethleo, A-T-H-L-E-O would be the transliteration. A-T-H-L-E-O sounds like, sounds like athletics, doesn't it? And that's because that's the that's the original uh, idea there. As in an athletic contest where you're striving together for one goal. As a team, a team has to work together uh, in an athletic uh, situation where it is a team sport. That's why they call it a team sport, because it involves a team. They're not working against each other. They're working together for one goal. And that's exactly the illusion that the Apostle Paul uses here, spiritually speaking, as he says, you are a team. You work together as a unit. You work together as those involved in an athletic contest. Work together for a goal that is far greater than any athletic contest could ever, could ever be considered. You're striving together as a team for the faith to stand fast and defend the faith, to propagate the faith, to take the faith to as many precious souls as you can in your life for as long as you can, working as hard as you can for the faith of the gospel. So stand together is the initial admonition. Strive together. And then he brings in in verse 28, an admonition not to be terrified by your adversaries. And you know, if everything about verse 27 that we've just looked at is followed closely, there's no reason to fear, is there? 
If indeed we are standing fast in one spirit, standing together in one mind and in one spirit, if we are as a team, as it were, striving together, together for the faith of the gospel, who is it that is going to terrify us? Who of our adversaries, who among our adversaries is going to sway us? That's why it's so important to strive together. That's why it's so important to stand together. And so don't be terrified by your adversaries. Those who are your persecutors, what about them? Well, to them, the fact that they are your adversaries and that they are opposed to the faith of the gospel that you're standing for, it is proof of their perdition. It is proof, because they're persecuting you, it is a demonstration that they are going to be lost unless they change their persecuting ways and obey the gospel of Christ. They're going to be lost. But the fact that you're standing against that persecution is evidence of your salvation. So the persecution is evidence on the one hand that they are lost, their perdition, that is perdition, meaning punishment, eternal punishment, it's proof that they are going to be punished eternally because they are persecuting the cause of Jesus Christ. But because you are withstanding that persecution, because you're standing against it and holding fast to the truth, their persecution, in your case, is proof of your salvation. And who is the source of your salvation? And that from God. God is the source of your salvation. So in effect, he's saying, you just stand fast. You continue to strive together for the faith of the gospel, and don't you let anyone terrify you. Now, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in that amphitheater when it was a, an active amphitheater filled with people who were viewing the deaths of those who were standing fast in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and because they were, they were told, you are about to die unless you change your stand and unless you deny the Christ. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that feeling. Was there any apprehension? Well, I dare say there may have been, but was there the kind of fear that would cause them to turn back? Well, perhaps some did, but many did not. Many did not. And many faced the lions or whatever form of death awaited them, as we have often said with a song of praise on their lips, because they were not going to be terrified by those who were on their way to eternal punishment, knowing that if they stood fast against that persecution, they were on their way to eternal bliss. And that for them to live was going to be Christ, as Paul said about himself, and they understood, as did he, that to die is gain. And therefore, they were willing to undergo what had to be a painful departure from this life. And yet they knew when that was over, eternity had only begun. That's the same attitude that we must develop and maintain. Regardless of what comes, that we understand that suffering for the cause of Christ is actually something that has been granted to us. Can you believe that? 
Well, we better believe it because that's what verse 29 tells us. Look at it. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Is that word granted a bad translation there in the New King James? No, it's a very good translation because it comes from a form of the word from which the word grace comes. And grace means favor. So you have been favored. He's telling the Philippians who may have already been suffering and were going to suffer, you've been favored You've been favored not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for Christ. Reminds me of when the apostles on one occasion left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing after they'd been beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. They rejoiced over that. They rejoiced over that. I don't even like to be hit on the back. <laughs> just, I just... Got a tender back, I guess. I don't even like to be slapped on the back. Just kind of gets on my nerves, literally. <laughs> Can you imagine being beaten like that? 39 times, just one short of 40 to make sure you don't go over 40. Walking out of the presence of the council that have just ordered that beating, rejoicing, rejoicing that you were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Same idea here. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe but also to suffer for his sake. Now if anyone, as Peter wrote, remember, suffers as a murderer, as a thief, etc. No, no, that's not anything to be proud of at all. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God on this behalf. Oh, time and again, Scripture Scripture reminds us that suffering for the cause of Christ is a privilege, a privilege. Because look at what Christ suffered for us. For to this you recall, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2, 21, that we should suffer for his name that we should suffer for his name because he suffered for us. Listen to the passage. For to this you recall because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What were those steps? Who committed no sin or was guile found in his mouth? Who when he was reviled did not revile in return? He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He suffered immensely for us. If we're called upon to suffer for him, rejoice that you've been counted worthy to suffer for his name. And remember what Paul said elsewhere, what he wrote elsewhere, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We don't know what's coming in this country. We don't know. It may not come in our lifetime. It may not come in our children's lifetimes, or in our grandchildren's lifetimes. 
We don't know. But I do know, and you know, that we're headed in a direction that we've never headed in in my lifetime up until this point in regard to what could ultimately result in the same kind of physical persecution that we're reading about right here. How will we face it if indeed we're called upon to do so? And then he concludes in verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. In other words, if you suffer, if you suffer, consider the blessing because remember it's just the same kind of conflict that you saw in me. When did they see that conflict in him? In Acts chapter 16 when the church at Philippi was established and when he and Silas were beaten and thrown into that prison and were singing praises to God at midnight when that earthquake, earthquake occurred. They were mistreated, they were abused, they had that conflict then and he has it now as a prisoner in Rome. And so he's encouraging them. I'm not discouraged by it. Don't you be as well. And we must be prepared for whatever comes in our lifetime. How can we do that? By standing together and striving together so that we will be prepared to suffer together if we're called upon to do so. But you can't do that outside of Christ. And so we plead with you tonight as we close that if you're not a Christian to become one, the only way that you can, by belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God that leads you to repent of your sins, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then to be buried in baptism for the remission of your sins. If you need to come home to your first love as one who's wandered from the truth, who no longer stands fast as you once did and needs to return because of your waywardness and repentance needs to be forthcoming in a public way, we plead with you to manifest that repentance now. We'll pray with you and for you to the God of heaven who forgive. As we stand to sing, will you come?